0: Good morning and welcome back to our studies on the Churches in Revelation. Today we will look at the Church of Philadelphia. The Church of Philadelphia was the youngest of all the seven cities. The Church of Philadelphia was located in a center of Greek civilization, founded only 189 years before Christ. The city had a surprising influence on that area of the ancient world. This church must have been vital for Philadelphia remained an independent Christian city until the close of the 14th century, when it was conquered by the Turks. The name Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. The church beared a name which should be an important mark in the lives of all believers. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9, Paul says we are taught of God to love one another. And in 1 John 4, 20 to 21, John says, If a man say, I love God, and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Four aspects of Christ's character are revealed to Philadelphia in verse 7. The first aspect is his holiness. Christ is holy. God's holiness provides the pattern for his people to imitate. The word sanctification means to set apart. It is the same word that describes us in the Bible as saints and holy. So when we are saved, we are not only declared holy positionally by God because of the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we are also called to be holy in our daily living and our daily lives. Michael Stampley, in his well-known song, Take My Life, says, Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness is what you want from me. This is what Christ wants from the church. The word of the Lord says, Be ye perfect. Be ye holy, even as Christ is holy. The same root word is found in the English words saint, holy, and holiness. Sanctification, along with its root words, saint, holy, and holiness, are used in a variety of ways in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word sanctification is used in three primary ways in relation to the born-again Christian. First, Positional sanctification. This is the believer's position or standing before God based on the death of Christ. In positional sanctification, the believer is declared holy before God. He is declared a saint. Paul frequently began his letters by addressing the believers as saints. Paul in Romans 1 and verse 7 says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome call saints. When we think of the measure of carnality that is demonstrated sometimes among Christians, it is truly God's mercy that we can still be called saints and regarded as holy. But this holiness has nothing to do with us. It is all because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So the Lord addressed and introduced himself to this church as holy. Secondly, there is the experiential sanctification. Although the believer's positional sanctification is secured, we are called to live a life of holiness each day. So we must demonstrate our positional sanctification in our walk, in our talk, and in our daily lives. Are we living in holiness as God's people? Are we allowing our lights to shine? Seek Luca look, looks. There must be holiness as it relates to our soul, mind, will, body, and life. Paul said to the carnal Corinthian church in Second Corinthians seven verse one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Then there is a final, ultimate sanctification. This aspect of sanctification is futuristic and anticipates the final transformation of the believer into the likeness of Christ. When we are changed from mortal to immortality and we no longer struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, then we all will be faultless before our Lord, having no spot or wrinkle. Let us saints cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Jesus, in describing himself to the church as holy, he's reminding them, and he's also reminding us, of what manner of people we ought to be. He also said that he has the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shut it, and shut it, and no man openeth. Do we as Christians acknowledge the fact that God is the only one who can open doors for us and shut doors for us? We should thank God for the many open doors, but do we Thank him for the closed doors. When he closes doors in our lives, do we say, Lord, have your way, let your will be done? Or do we respond to the doors that are closed in our life, being angry and upset? This is also a call to the young people who have accepted the Lord as their personal savior. That God is not limited in his power to open doors for you. You don't have to compromise, for God can create opportunities for you that no one else can. Like all the other churches, the Lord said to this congregation, I know your works, and I've set before you an open door. The Lord set before the Church of Philadelphia an open door. The scripture did not say where this door would lead them or take them. But many Bible scholars posit that it might be a door of missionary opportunity. Let me join with the author, William Barclay, to say the door of missionary opportunity is open before every man and we need not go overseas to find it. It is within our homes. It is within our circle of friends. It is within the parish we live. Are we willing to seize the opportunities of these open doors to share Christ with those who have not yet come into a saving knowledge of who he is? Jesus also said to this church, You have little strength. Bible scholars believe that this refers to the minority status of the believers in Philadelphia. Today we live in a church culture of mega church and small churches. The Philadelphia church age was characterized by small congregations, which according to human standards are weak. But these are not the things that Jesus looks at. For Christ said to this congregation, Yet you have kept my word. They not only believe the word of God. But obeyed it. Saints, let us not just listen to God's word, but do what it says. Otherwise, we are only fooling ourselves. How do we measure ourselves as a church? Do we measure ourselves by whether or not we're living by God's word? Or do we measure ourselves based on a life of holiness? Or do we measure ourselves? by the size of our congregation, by the strength of our technological department, by our praise team. What is it that we use to measure our churches? This church, Christ measured it because they have kept his word and they did not deny the name of Jesus. Just like the church of Pergamon, they remain true, to the name of Christ. Christ promised the believers at Philadelphia vindication from all who were of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are found liars. Christ also promised them that he would preserve them. Since they have kept his word to endure patiently, Christ would keep them from the hour of of trial, which is a clear reference to the tribulation period. My friends, you and I too will be vindicated by Christ on that day. You and I, friend, must persevere until the very end. Why? The reason was given to the church at Philadelphia by Christ, because he's coming soon. He encouraged them to hold on to what they have, and never let go so that no one will take their crown. You and I too, saints, must hold on to what we have and never let go so that no one will take our crown. I close with the words of the song. Coming soon, Jesus in all his glory, not just a savior, but a reigning king. Coming soon, And the whole world will be witness. Oh, be ready, for he is coming soon. Amen.